0: Tonight on the readout
1: By the Constitution by the Constitution of this state, of this state so so die. Yeah! Yeah!
0: Just moments ago, Justin Jones officially returned to the Tennessee House of Representatives. The useless humiliation of that state by pro-gun Republicans is now complete. The expulsion of Jones for daring to speak up for gun control is now null and void, and Justin Pearson isn't far behind. Plus, the showdown over the abortion pill, a right-wing activist judge wants to prevent all access to abortion medication as Republican politicians scramble to try to get everyone to, quote, talk about other things. Plus, Donald Trump claims to be a billionaire But he's still asking y'all to give him your last $20, like some creepy combination of cult leader and televangelist. And we begin tonight with thoughts and prayers, perhaps the most useless phrase in the English language, as we report on yet another mass shooting in America, the mass shooting capital of the world. Early this morning, a 23-year-old bank employee, armed with a rifle, walked into Old National Bank in Louisville, Kentucky, and shot four people dead, wounding nine others before police shot and killed him. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear held back tears as he told reporters that one of the victims was a close friend of his. That was just the most recent shooting. We saw a string of mass shootings over the weekend from South Carolina to Louisiana to Texas. This is America. America. This is the atmosphere that the Republican Party is forcing us all to live in because they refuse to do anything to confront this uniquely American sickness. And given all that's happening in the world, it is easy to forget that nearly two weeks ago, three babies and three adults were gunned down at the Covenant School, a Presbyterian school just outside of Nashville. Americans are sick of it. Aren't you sick of it? And in Nashville, parents and their kids went to the state capitol to demand action. Their calls were echoed by Tennessee state representatives Justin Jones, Gloria Johnson, and Justin Pearson.
1: We are tired of the silence that is going on in this place. And the reality is there are some people who are silent. They're dead. There are three nine-year-olds who will never serve in this general assembly, who will never be able to march, who will never be able to protest, who will never be able to raise their voice about this issue. There are three folks, 60, 60, and 61, who are just going to work to serve children who are dead because someone with an assault rifle went into the school and shot 152 rounds. What reason does any reasonable person have to have an assault rifle? Instead of listening
0: and doing something, Republicans moved to expel two of the Tennessee three, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, the two young black men. a shocking, undemocratic, arrogant, and blatantly racist silencing of dissent. Just think about it. The Republican Party of Tennessee moved with lightning speed to punish these two young black men because they chose to fight for their constituents' lives and fight harder for the lives of those Republicans' children than they have. I mean, clearly the Republican supermajority can move with blinding efficacy when they want to. But when it comes to keeping your babies safe from gun violence, it's an entirely different story. In fact, Tennessee Republicans are actually working to loosen gun laws. Yep, they actually think that the state would be better served if more people had more guns and more people could walk around with a weapon of war strapped to their chests. They also seem to think more guns in schools is the solution to the problem of, checking my notes, people getting gunned down at school. But rest assured, Tennessee parents, Governor Bill Lee is keeping your kids safe from drag queens. He recently signed a ban on drag performances which a judge has halted because of its glaringly unconstitutional restriction on freedom of speech. The extremist moves by the Tennessee Republican Party have the distinction of being stupid and yet unsurprising. These are the people that hate on Nashville for its woke modernism, but also want to control Nashville. A recent study, meanwhile, shows that Tennessee is the least Democratic state in the entire country and its Republican supermajority might be the most dim-witted legislative majority in these United States. Just to show you what a waste of time this anti-democracy experiment was, the Justins, Jones and Pearson, are on their way back to the Tennessee House. In fact, just this evening, the Nashville Metropolitan Council resoundingly voted to reinstate Representative Jones. The woman who nominated Jones reminded Tennessee Republicans why.
1: The people chose their representative and with this vote we will send a strong message to our state government and across the country that we will not tolerate threats to our democracy. Moments later he
0: was greeted by raucous cheers by supporters chanting this is what democracy looks like. This
1: is not about one person it's not about one position but it's about a movement of people power to restore the soul to of is.
0: And he was immediately sworn in on the steps of the Capitol, surrounded by supporters and escorted by Representative Gloria Johnson, the only one of the Tennessee three who was not expelled by one vote. Then he walked handily back into the chamber. He walked handily back into the chamber of the House as District 52's democratically elected representative. The Shelby County Commission will vote on Justin Pearson's reinstatement on Wednesday. At the end of this grotesque experience. Tennessee Republicans drew the eyes of the world on their state only to expose their own Orwellian tactics to an international audience while crowning the Tennessee three, particularly Justin Jones and Justin Pearson as heroes, as role models for the next batch of young civic leaders who are sick of being led by people who clearly don't give a damn if they or their friends die a painful, gruesome death At the hands of an assault rifle. Joining me now is David Jolly, MSNBC political analyst and former Republican congressman who is no longer affiliated with the party. Holly McCall, editor in chief of the Tennessee Lookout. And Reverend Mark Thompson, civil and human rights activist and host of the Make It Plain podcast. Uh, And and Mark, I think you're still there. You were with Justin Jones. You were walking with this crowd of supporters that also did include Gloria Johnson and Justin Pearson. Just talk about the atmosphere and the historic moment that you were witness to this afternoon, literally less than an hour ago. Well, it is historic. If you
2: can see what I'm sending you now, Justin has just spoken to the crowd here on Legislative Plaza here in Nashville about a war memorial. Uh, building, uh, a triumphant crowd, thousands of people here. This has been an historic day. Joy, you ended the show. Um, You did my benediction for me on the show since I was cut off the other night. And you said, watch God work. You see Justin Fairfax here. When when you said, watch God work, we witnessed uh, what was really an expulsion during the weekend of the crucifixion. But as we know, truth crushed the earth, will rise again. So here is the, the manifestation of that truth crushed earth, a, re- a resurrection. And Justin Jones called it that um, himself. That's exactly what this is. And so people feel jubilant just after, with the church just after, um, just after being expelled, he has now been restored. The plan is on um, this Thursday of this week, the Memphis City Council will gather. Um, and they will, uh, reinstate, um, Justin Pearson. That, that is the plan. That is what is, uh, before us, uh, um, uh, Justin, Joy Reid says, Joy Reid, we're live with Joy Reid on MSNBC. If you want to say words please.
1: Uh, Today is an important step forward for democracy, but it's not the end that they tried to to kill democracy on last Thursday, but today is a testimony of resurrection of people power we hope we will continue to show up here in the legislature because Cameron Sexton needs to resign. We need action for common-sense gun laws. We need to support these young people who are begging for their lives. And so today is not the end, but it's the beginning. It's a testament to this movement that they cannot attack us, and, and we will just bow down, but we're going to stand up and rise up together, All right,
2: all right.
0: Uh, can you um, so, ask—can you see if you can ask uh, Representative Jones what his agenda—what will be the first item on his agenda when he gets back, Mark?
2: Um, um, Justin— Oh, it. Do I want okay, uh, to see if you can Justin, ask them. Joy wants to know, Justin, Justin uh, Joy wants
1: to know, what's the first item on your agenda when you get back in the house? It's a push for common sense gun legislation, red flag laws, uh, banning these militarized guns like AR-15s and passing universal background checks. That's what these young people are asking for. And that's what we're going to ask for. And so the, so we're going to continue to call for common sense gun legislation. We're trying to save lives. And where's another mass shooting today in Kentucky. And so we, we know that this is a systemic issue that we have to address with policy. And so we will continue to fight. Are you okay? so, so thank you so much. We hope you will continue to pay attention to what's happening here in Tennessee because it's the spotlight of the world that has got them to, to, to not obstruct democracy today.
2: Amen. Does he thank expect you the
1: speaker
0: to be cooperative
1: with him? Do you do you, do you, do you expect the? Joy wants to know
2: if you expect the speaker to be cooperative.
1: I think as long as the capital here, he'll. Sorry, right, we got to pull Okay, but we but so we must hold him accountable, and he must resign for his attacks on democracy. Um, because it was it was the most extreme example. What we saw Thursday was an attempt to crucify democracy. So we covered today as a testament to resurrection of democracy. All right. Thank, thank you,
0: Mark. So, thank you. So, Mark, Mark so stick joy. with us, Mark. Don't go anywhere because I'm I'm, I'm going to try to come back to you. But Holly McCall, let me bring you into this conversation. Do the Republicans in that state legislature, including the speaker, is speaker, Cameron Sexton, who you just heard Justin Jones call for his resignation. Do they understand what a huge error, like politics 101 mistake that they have made?
3: You know, this has been a catastrophic week for Tennessee Republicans and for House Speaker Cameron Sexton in particular. And I've got a source within the Republican caucus who has told me that there was an airing of grievances earlier by members who feel like Speaker Sexton misled them. They felt like expulsion was not the way to go. Um, He was personally whipping votes, they tell me, to get this expulsion vote to go down. And then he promised the members of his caucus that these representatives, Representative Jones and Pearson, would not be seated. And as you can see, Representative Jones has been reappointed and, in fact, is back in the legislature. And we do expect the same thing will happen Wednesday with Representative Pearson. So I do think although they will not talk about it publicly. There's an inside uh, understanding.
0: that This has been a colossal mistake. And do you have any reporting on how it is that they whipped the votes and then whipped one vote short for Gloria Johnson so that they themselves could create the spectacle that they let this white woman who was going to stand back side by side with these two young black men to the bitter end? And who is the one who said it was because of the color of her skin that she survived by one vote? Who whipped? Th- who is responsible for that vote whipping?
3: Well, I'll tell you about how Gloria Johnson survived. And let me say, she is no more alike than either of these other gentlemen. Last year, she stood for 45 minutes with her hand in the air to try to be recognized to speak on an abortion vote. However, she had two attorneys represent her. They're both white men and they are both former members of the state legislature. And so they know that body and they know that good old boys club. And I believe that is probably what saved her because seven Republicans crossed over And voted to keep her in. And I think that's because of the
0: the, the attorneys that are former representatives that she had working on her behalf. Uh, David Jolly, let me bring you in here. This has been a catastrophe for the, the Republican Party, really nationwide. Just for Tennessee, in an average year, 1,385 people in the state die by guns. Tennessee has the 12th highest rate of gun death in the United States. The gun death rate in, increased 52 percent from 2012 to 2021 in Tennessee. It increased 39 percent nationwide. One in 25 in the United States, American kindergartners, will not make it to their 40th birthday. That is the st- statistics on the United States. And I'm just going to put up on the screen the top 10 states for where you are most likely to get shot dead. Mississippi, Louisiana, Wyoming, Alaska, Alabama, New Mexico, Missouri, Arkansas, Montana, South Carolina, nine out of 10 red states. How can Republicans justify going bat crap crazy about drag shows and methodically doing zip zero nothing about gun violence?
4: 30 years in bed with the gun this, lobby. And then doing
0: this, and then putting <laughs> yeah. on this like per, 19, 18th century show in Tennessee.
4: Yeah, look, 30 years in bed with the gun lobby and a history of homophobia and discrimination against the LGBTQ community. This is reflexive for Republicans. This is not well thought out. And, you know, I, there is so much to this story, uh, Joy. We rarely get Truly inspirational moments in politics, but we're watching one right now, not just as the Justins are reinstated and democracy and justice prevails, but also the thousands upon thousands of young kids in Tennessee marching to save their own lives, demanding real reform. It is a humiliating moment for Cameron Sexton. You know, when you see the Justins reinstated, I thought, Who's worse at performative politics nationally now, Cameron Sexton or Ron DeSantis? Because the whole world (laughs) just saw Cameron Sexton fall on his face trying to make a point around this. But, But nationally, what it means is the stain of Tennessee Republicans is now put on all Republicans nationwide for this reason. They've demonstrated in the last week to the country that they are wrong on gun policy, fundamentally wrong on gun policy, that they are even worse on the question of race as they silence two millennial legislators of color, and that they expose their their raw bias towards true democracy and representation when they silence the constituents of these members. This is a remarkable moment to define the Republican Party. And I think you're seeing people across Tennessee realize that and they're acting with their feet and they're acting with their voice.
0: And and to say with you for a second, David, the thing that's remarkable, I'm sitting here watching Justin Jones hug and embrace people of, of yeah. all races, white, black, young, old that are all hugging him because he's fighting for them. The, the thing is that this whole fight was about these two young black men and the 60 year old white woman fighting harder for the children of those Republicans yeah. who literally thought that they looked great lecturing these two young black legislators as if they were children. The boy was implied and doing that on international television. Like everyone could see them doing it. Did they not understand what they looked like while these guys are not fighting for just black lives, but their children? And he said so. He said, I'm fighting for your kids. And he's fighting harder than Sexton was fighting for his own children.
4: Yeah, look, the Tennessee three stood up to protect children across Tennessee and demand gun reform. And in this remarkable moment, Tennessee Republicans said, wait a minute, world, if you think we're really bad at guns, let us show you how much worse we are on the issue of race. I mean, consider the distraction, but I think it's important that we take time to process both those issues because at its core, this is about protecting kids from gun violence in schools. The the most helpless moment that every parent, white, black, brown, across the country experiences, is the first time they drop their kids off at school and hands them off to somebody else to be their protector. And in the case of the kids that were murdered and the adults at the school in Nashville, you have six families in a community ripped apart because of that tragedy, you had the Tennessee Three stand up and say, on behalf of tens of thousands of Tennesseans, you Republican supermajority in the legislature have to do something. And the Republicans' answer was, shut up and get out of the chamber.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mark, let me go back to you, because you are still following uh, Justin Jones. Talk about some of the people that he is talking to, those folks that are in the gallery. Are those family members of the young folks that were out there protesting uh, in the last couple of weeks? Can you just talk a little bit about what you're seeing? Who? Look at this. He's being greeted now by another elder member, it looks like, of the legislature. That's, a, uh, Mark,
2: that's, what do you that's actually a member of the sergeant at arms. That's actually one of the sergeant at arms uh, here in the legislature. I'm not certain that any of those individuals are are victims' families, but they're just some of his constituents who are uh, here to greet him and support him. And he's come upstairs to greet them. So we're walking to both sides of the House gallery where the general public is uh, seated. And as he's going in, he's just shaking hands, greeting people and thanking them for, for his support. For their support.
0: Mark, you were, you talk a little bit, you worked in that legislature. I think you were an aide or a page back in the day when Democrats used to control that very chamber. Just talk a little bit about your perspective uh, in being in the state of Diane Nash uh, and having somebody of her generation at the time um, fighting this particular fight uh, on behalf of all the young people of Tennessee.
2: Well, first of all, you should know when we were at the uh, city council. Um, the Nashville City Council, they renamed the plaza, the City Council Plaza, to Diane Nash Plaza. Uh, and as I've shared before, Diane Nash was a student of Fisk, just like Justin. She and, uh, Bernard Lafayette and John Lewis, who were at American Baptist College and Fisk and Meharry and Tennessee State, all organized. And what Justin has done is really resurrect the spirit of this movement for a different reason. And that's the diversity of I it. Mean, so many, um, young people of all colors all faiths all political persuasions are impacted by this and so that's what he's here that's what he's here to address that's what he's here to do and what this legislature did was really um this movement let me also just share you mentioned this yes i was the page in high school people forget uh, Tennessee Tennessee two democratic senators. Jim Sass and Al Gore, and Clinton carried Tennessee, uh, Gore didn't, you know, everything started to change, everything started to change after that, and um, 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 so, uh, it, you know, it's, it's jarring to be here, Nashville's changed so much, Nashville was a small town when I left 40 years ago, yeah. almost 40 years ago, it's a big city now, Uh, and you know, yeah. everybody's here, and, and these folks have taken it over because they understand It is as expensive to live in Nashville now as it is in New York, as it does the cost to live in New York. So, you know, so for him to be here in this position he's in to represent this city is very important. He's about to go back into the chamber now.
0: Yep. Well, I appreciate you, Mark Thompson, my friend. Uh, Yeah, everything changed uh, after the crime bill that included an assault weapons ban. And Republicans took over a lot of chambers in the United States as well as the United States Congress. It was a sea change. And that sea change had to do with guns. Guns have driven American politics for decades, and they're driving them now in the opposite direction. David Jolly, Holly McCall, Reverend Mark Thompson. Thank you all. We'll be right back. Right now, the future of the abortion pill, Mifepristone, remains uncertain. Today, the Justice Department asked the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to block the ruling out of Texas that would invalidate the 20-year-old FDA approval of the drug by the end of the week. That Texas decision was quickly met with a contradictory ruling out of Washington state, ordering the FDA to not suspend Mifepristone, potentially setting up another legal showdown at the Supreme Court. Now, not only is it unheard of that a single federal judge can Just supersede a panel of medical experts. It should not be lost on anyone just how draconian this ruling really is. Just the language Judge Matthew Kismaric uses is full of anti-abortion activist rhetoric. Kismaric solely refers to medication abortion as chemical abortion, while also using unborn human or unborn child instead of fetus. He also justifies his decision by claiming without evidence that one woman who alleged that she did not receive an ultrasound or any other physical examination before receiving mifepristone from Planned Parenthood gave birth to a lifeless, fully formed baby in the toilet because the woman who claimed she was six weeks pregnant was actually 36 weeks pregnant. Um, what? Seriously? Mark is not a doctor, but he plays one in this ruling talking about the supposed harm facing women who use mifepristone, writing, Plaintiffs are likely to suffer irreparable harm if the motion is not granted. At least two women died from chemical abortion drugs just last year. The physical and emotional trauma that chemical abortion inflicts on women and girls cannot be reversed or erased. Forget the fact that women across the country are constantly facing near-death experiences because of post-trial abortion laws, and which make it nearly impossible to receive health care in some states. But the death rate of mifepristone is point zero 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 five percent. That is four times safer than penicillin and almost 10 times safer than Viagra, which no one is trying to regulate in these right wing courts. But what this really makes crystal clear is that the Dobbs decision and overturning Roe was never about leaving it up to the states. It was always about dismantling women's access to reproductive health care nationwide. And believe me, they are not going to stop here. Joining me now is Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of Texas. And Congresswoman, um, you have, thank you for being here. You've sent a letter to President Biden. It's signed by 40 of your House co- colleagues calling on the administration to use, and I'm going to quote here, all means at their disposal to preserve approval for Mifepristone. W- what do you think those means might be?
5: You know, honestly, Joy, I don't know what all we've got access to. But at this point in time, we know that Republicans will do anything, even things that we've never seen before. They will pull a rabbit out of a hat. And that's exactly what I'm asking the administration to be willing to do. I don't know what the options are, say, around um, an emergency authorization for, say, something else, right? Because this specifically only addressed this drug. And we know that we can get emergency FDA authorizations for drugs. We did that for the vaccines. And so this is an unprecedented move that has been made. And I just think that we need to match that energy. It's interesting listening to you because you bring out all the logic, you bring out all the facts, you bring out all the data. But I think it's time for us to just call a spade a spade. They don't care about facts and data. They have one agenda and it has nothing to do with um, making sure that they're not hypocritical. It has everything to do with the fact that they want this nationwide abortion ban. You just mentioned it. Yeah, they claim that's not what they want. And then as soon as they got the Dobbs decision, what happened? We ended up with this lawsuit. Right. So, like, let's stop pretending that the Republicans can be believed. They are liars. We know this. They have lied to us over and over and over about everything, whether it's January 6th or whether it's, you know, children that are trans and they are now the boogeyman like they are liars.
0: Let me, play, let me read to you, just to your point. Uh, there's a guy named John Schweppe. He's from the Claremont Institute, where a lot of this right-wing policy comes out of. The, the uh, anti-critical race theory stuff, a lot of that comes out of there. He wrote a like, manic tweet thread last weekend saying, Republicans need to figure out the abortion issue ASAP. We're getting killed by indie voters who think we support full bans with no exceptions. Time for everyone to suck it up and unify behind Lindsey Graham's 15-week abortion ban bill with exceptions. We lost Wisconsin by like 15. If the pro-life movement doesn't figure this out and get the GOP on board. The GOP is just going to abandon the issue and eventually start telling voters they don't care about saving babies. So that is one of their think tank people. Now let me play you uh, someone from your state. His name is Tony Gonzalez uh, on CNN, and he's got the other half of their agenda, which is let's not talk about it.
1: I think it's important that we take care of women and we we, it's important that we have real discussions on women's health care and get off the abortion, get off the, you know, the abortion conversation. Uh, Women have a whole lot more other issues than just abortion. let's have those real conversations. And let's talk about, you know, let's talk about the other things that are happening in, in this world. So which is it? Do a national
0: abortion ban or stop talking about abortion? It seems like they want both and.
5: They they do want both, right? Like, they don't want to talk about it, especially as we're coming up on re-election because this is not a good move for them. We know that they did not have the red wave that they thought they were going to have. We saw what happened in Wisconsin. And this Wisconsin race took not too, it, it was just a few months ago that we dealt with a huge race when it came to the U.S. Senate in Wisconsin, a race that they were able to somehow get by on. And then we ended up with a Supreme Court race and there was a double point margin. They understand they are losing they are mobilizing our young people. Young people are skewing towards the Democrat at 80% or more, seemingly the majority of the time. And so right now what they are doing is doing something that unfortunately, seemingly my party hasn't been able to do enough of. They are energizing young people. And I am happy about that. That's kind of like the lemonade on the side of you know these lemons that were being handed, but it shouldn't take this. What we should have is lawmakers that actually care. We have real issues, as it was discussed earlier. You know we've got Tennessee trying to bring back um, hanging. We got Tennessee worried about drag shows, yet they have people dying in the streets every single day. You hear from Tony Gonzalez. We are a state that leads when it comes to maternal mortality, especially when you start talking about African-American women, and that was before you denied access to safe abortion care. So, yeah, we've got people dying, and honestly, if you look at this country as a whole, you would not think that we were the developed nation that we proclaim to be when you look at our numbers, because our numbers do not look like those of our counterparts that are developed nations, such as a Canada. We are dying at an alarmingly high rate, and that was before they decided that they were going to introduce these abortion bans.
0: Yeah, uh, well said. Uh, Congressman Jasmine Crockett, thank you. Please keep us up to date uh, on what you hear back from the White House. Um, Thank you. We'll be right back. On Friday, a Texas jury unanimously convicted an army sergeant of killing a protester at a Black Lives Matter demonstration in 2020. Police say Daniel Perry was driving in downtown Austin when he encountered demonstrators in the street and came to a stop. He fatally shot Garrett Foster, one of the protesters, with a handgun. Foster was legally carrying a semi-automatic rifle in the open carry state, and Perry claimed to police that he shot in self-defense. But prosecutors argue that Perry instigated the confrontation. Hours after the guilty verdict, hours. Tucker Carlson went on the air to shame Texas Governor Greg Abbott, calling the verdict a legal atrocity. As Republicans do, Abbott seems to have said, sir, yes, sir, to Tucker, saying that he has directed the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles to consider recommending a pardon for Perry, citing the state's stand-your-ground laws of self-defense. You might recall that Abbott also posted a celebratory tweet when Kyle Rittenhouse, who used his semi-automatic rifle to shoot two men dead after a Black Lives Matter protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, was declared not guilty. Travis County DA Jose Garza rebuked Abbott's pardon efforts, saying in a statement that a jury gets to decide whether a defendant is guilty or innocent, not the governor. Joining me now is MSNBC senior political analyst Matthew Dowd. And Matthew, this feels like a pattern to me. Um, you have Republicans in multiple states, including Florida, passing and pushing laws that will allow people to hit Black Lives Matter protesters or any protesters they like with their cars. And this was after the Charlottesville murder by car of a white woman who was a Black Lives Matter protester. They seem to have you know, gotten back into lynching, hanging, um, all sorts of other sort of draconian 19th century fare. What is going on with Republicans that they seem to like be bringing back the lynching vibe?
6: Well, I mean, it. Uh, it I would be uh, surprised if this was an African-American who shot somebody uh, in Austin, Texas, that the governor of Texas would be weighing in saying this person is not guilty and should be pardoned. Matter of fact, he's never done it for anybody um, except this guy who, as you laid out, a unanimous jury, a jury of citizens of Travis County unanimously found the guy guilty, which, as you know, for a police officer, is very difficult. So the evidence was overwhelming against this guy. To me, this is all, it all is part of, it. it's all integrated. This is another attack on our democracy, and I don't think people fully understand what that means. They think attacks on our democracy are only like taking away somebody's vote or what happened on January 6th. This is an attack of a, of a jury which is in our constitution in the seventh amendment, the right to jury trial, that basically takes the the power of citizens away to hold anybody accountable. That's what a jury is. It's an integral part of our democracy. The founders put it in our constitution and the governor of Texas instigated, as you know, by Tucker Carlson and Kyle Rittenhouse, who weighed in on this as well, who also weighed in on this as well, decided that he knows better than 12 average folks sitting in Austin, Texas to make this decision. Again, it's another attack on our democracy.
0: You know, and and, and, and right. And so fascism has many features. Uh, and one of them is this sort of lust to be able to harm or kill your political opponents. And, and it feels like Across the board, on the right, there is this kind of this sort of lust for that, right? For we need to be able to not let our political opponents vote, but also to hurt them or, 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 or worse. There was this woman, it was a random sort of a right-wing Twitter person, who tweeted about the horrors of drugs and homelessness in San Francisco and said, maybe if we brought back hanging. In San Francisco, where in 1877, there was literally a mass lynching of Chinese immigrants, that was a thing that actually happened in San Francisco. And for her to sort of channel that, right, and to channel the first woman senator, a white woman who was a former slave owner, who breached about that. We should be lynching more people. So so it's like they, maybe because they don't like books and history, maybe they don't know they're channeling that, but they are.
6: Well, I, I, you know, and we've had this conversation not related to this topic, but we've had a broader conversation of the Christian nationalism that seeped into the GOP, Right. All this is related because if you believe that what you're doing is you're divinely inspired, which many of these people think they are, they're divinely inspired. They think that because they're divinely inspired, they have the right over life and death, right? They have that right. If their ideas or in their mind, their truth, let's say their truth, is part of some God-given thing they have, then they think, not only do they think, They can overrun the institutions and norms of democracy, which they easily do. They can easily decide who lives and dies in this country because that's their divinely given providence that they've decided. It really is all part of the same mode. They think God has told them in many ways, God has told them they're right. And if God tells them they're right, they can do anything they want.
0: And that and you have just very succinctly explained everything from forced birth to this mania for the death penalty to this new wild idea that they ought to be able to kill their whoever they perceive as their political and social opponents with impunity. It is a strange time to be alive. Matthew Dowd, always happy to have you here to help explain it. Thank you. And up next. Thanks, Joy. What, cheers. What is the difference uh, between Donald Trump and a televangelist? No, seriously, I'm asking. Does anybody know? Anybody? Back in a sec. Yesterday was Easter for those who celebrate, and Donald Trump had his own message on Christianity's holiest day. A shouty post about his political enemies destroying our country. And then World War III, nothing else, that's it. Such an uplifting message from the always devout and thoughtful Donald Trump. Although it's really just a dog whistle about his supposed persecution to his most loyal followers. And some like Marjorie Taylor Greene compared him to Jesus in the run up to Easter as he prepares, just like Jesus himself, to face felony charges of falsifying business records to cover up an affair with an adult movie star just after his third wife gave birth to their child. Okay, maybe not just like Jesus. Trump is doing his unique version of yelling, holy crap, while holed up in his South Florida mansion like the modern-day televangelist he is, crowing about his billionaire lifestyle while begging the faithful to send their last $47 to him at the storehouse where it can be pressed down, shaken together, into a t-shirt with a fake Trump mugshot on it and cash for Trump to pay his lawyers with. He certainly got the original experts of televangelist grift as both his role models and in his pocket. Remember Jim Baker? One half of Jim and Tammy Faye infamy. Jim served four years in prison for 24 counts of mail and wire fraud, which was uncovered when it was revealed that he was having an affair with a church secretary. The parallels just write themselves. But in 2019, Jim Baker had a guest on his show shilling a Trump coin reminiscent of those Trump help keep me out of jail T-shirts.
4: What uh, we want to do is we want to be able to start, Jim, this move. We've got 16 months. This this battle for the future of America has already started 16, 18 months. We're already in it. We're in the
6: battle right now. We need to be praying now.
0: The following year, Baker himself said that loving Donald Trump was a test for Christians to prove that they are saved. In fact, Trump's I-alone-can-fix-it prosperity gospel is directed squarely at their shared, most loyal base, white evangelicals, with their hostility toward modernity, women's liberty, and abortion, and their ardent worship of guns. Trump is also channeling religious cult leaders right down to his first 2024 campaign speech delivered in Waco, Texas, site of the 1993 standoff between federal agents and the Branch Davidian apocalyptic doomsday cult that ended in the fiery death of 76 members of the sect Including children. The 51 day standoff started when agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms came to arrest branch Davidian leader David Koresh, who claimed to be the second coming of Jesus, and retrieve illegal machine guns. Under Koresh's leadership, its arsenal included hundreds of firearms, dozens of AK 47s, and dozens more illegally modified to be fully automatic like M16s. As for Donald Trump, he certainly had his cult leader rhetoric down for his Waco speech.
1: I say to you again tonight, I am
7: your warrior, I
1: am your justice,
7: I am your retribution,
0: we will take you out of it. And if you think it's a reach to link Donald Trump to David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, the sect's current leader told the New York Times, and I quote, Donald Trump is the anointed of God. He is the battering ram that God is using to bring down the deep state of Babylon. I mean, if the current cult leader loves Trump, where's the lie? After the break, we'll talk more about the religion of evangelical Trumpism from someone who knows it all too well. That is next.
4: Positive
2: thinking works wonders. And it does too. That is for sure. Whatever your life is this morning, unsatisfactory, unhappy, defeated, perhaps. I want to tell you, it
0: doesn't need to remain that way. That was Norman Vincent Peale, the self-help guru behind the Church of the Power of Positive Thinking. It's the only religion that we know the Trump family subscribed to. And Trump continues to preach blind optimism, continuing to con his supporters by constantly asking them for money to fight his criminal indictment. Joining me now is Jeff Charlotte, Dartmouth professor, contributing editor of Vanity Fair, and author of The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. Uh, An unsubtle title for an unsubtle time. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's great to see you. Talk to me a little bit about this, because there is, to me, among particularly white evangelicals, This admixture of wanting a kind of, you know, sort of televangelist, if I just might call Trump that, but also this worship of guns.
7: I think, yeah, those two things go together. And remember, of course, uh, the Bible, you can you can find a war theology in it. In the, in the undertow, I traveled around the country going to churches that have gotten rid of their crosses. I went to one, a militia church. They have their own militia. Uh, and they've replaced the, the, the altar is made, uh, or the, the pulpit, sorry, is made of three swords, no crosses, because they say we're in a time of war. But at the same time, they love this idea that, that Norman Vincent Peale, Uh, Trump says one of his three mentors, uh, they love that idea of winning, 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 winning the war, winning wealth. It all goes together for them.
0: And, you know, and, and I think about it even with Trump. So, so let's just go to abortion for a second. Fascinating uh, polls, set of polls. Every other religious group other than Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, white evangelical promises, Protestants, and Jehovah Witnesses, you know, are at least at 44% and saying, no, abortion should be legal. You go through the Buddhists, the universal universalists, you know, the white Catholics even are at 62%, right down there at the bottom are just these three groups. And white evangelical Protestants have disproportionate power in the United States, and they're using that power to try to take away women's liberty over their own body and to get more and more and more guns. One, they call that pro-life. And on the other hand, what do they call that? Because they seem to be very enamored of things that make death
7: you know uh, they call the the, the right wing evangelicals call the left a culture a cult a death cult and we call them a death cult sometimes too right i mean they love guns but really it's an innocence cult this idea of the fetus untouched by history this is when we deny history we deny the existence of race and then we combine it with the gun which is the force to protect this so called purity this white purity myth i almost imagine that there's got to be a flag, and I've been sort of collecting and documenting these, these fascist flags for a while with a gun and a baby and a fetus. This is the ultimate ideology that they're preaching. Those two things they experience is not at odds, but as reinforcing one another, the innocence of the child and the gun that protects it, which is terrifying.
0: And I—well, one of the things that I do find actually interesting is that once the fetus is out, then they don't give a damn. (laughs) They're just like, then it can die. Then it can starve. We don't care. Let me play for you very quickly. This is NBC News Package about Timothy McVeigh, because I do feel like that cult kind of fits in with sort of Trumpism. Take a listen.
5: Today, the Waco defense. Tim McVeigh's lawyer, Richard Burr, told jurors they can expect to hear how the fire of Waco did keep burning in Mr. McVeigh. In McVeigh's life, Waco was so profound an in influence that he traveled there to sell anti-gun control bumper stickers before the deadly fire. McVeigh sent videotapes to friends and family, tapes like this, which blame the government for the violent end at Waco.
0: How Donald Trump has managed to channel that energy. I mean, he goes to Waco to launch, to officially launch his presidential campaign. He's channeling those kind of people's rage while also doing this sort of televangelism. Just talk about that for a minute and why that is so potent and really so dangerous.
7: I'm so glad you drew that connection. And I think we have to understand the Trump scene, this age of Trump as moving through theological phases versus the prosperity gospel, then is this dark conspiracy gospel. But on January six, 2021, it entered its own age of martyrs with Ashley Babbitt, whose sort of martyr myth, the formation of it, I follow through in the book. Uh, and those figures, they see, they see Waco, they see Ruby Ridge. They see this in a long, a calendar full of martyr days, with Trump now sort of pushing them all aside and heaving himself up on the cross as the ultimate martyr. Um, that licenses what Trump has called, remember, at, in Waco, he said it's time for the final battle. And Easter, the day Christ is supposed to rise, he says World War III, wearing on his face this strange American flag paint. Um like a supervillain.
0: Yeah. It is wild. They, these these folks have replaced Jesus, the, the the God of peace and of loving the poor, with Donald Trump and the AR-15. If they if that ain't apostasy, I don't know what it is. Jeff Charlotte, thank you very much. That is tonight's readout.